Welcome to Mission Driven, a conversation about how startups leverage their social mission as competitive advantage. Mission Driven is hosted by Better Ventures, a seed stage venture fund in Oakland, California, backing entrepreneurs using science and technology to address the world's biggest challenges. You can find us on the web at better.bc and on Twitter at Better Ventures. I'm Rick Moss from Better Ventures, and I'm here today with Nan Lee, Managing Director at Obvious Ventures. It's a leading venture fund based in San Francisco, focused on world-positive companies. Prior to Obvious, Nan worked at Innovation Endeavors, one of the first frontier tech-focused funds, famously backed by Eric Schmidt of Google. What's happening in biology is a great case study of what we're excited by at Obvious broadly, which is the influence of technology in a new space that's very important for society that happens to be disassociated with the tech industry, mm. but the dynamics of that are, are quickly changing. He's held various positions as an operator and as an investor. He holds a computer science engineering degree from the University of Michigan. He's an adjunct lecturer at Stanford on venture capital, and he hails from the great city of Detroit, Michigan. We are super excited to have you here today because Obvious is a firm that is much talked about. You've invested in some amazing companies like Medium and Gusto and Planet Labs and Beyond Meat and Zymergen and Recursion Pharma and just built a really super impressive portfolio and track record. Welcome, Nan. Welcome back to Oakland, I should say. You, uh, yeah. you, you were here at some point. I used to live down the street, so it's good to be back. All right. And you hail from Detroit? What part of Detroit? As you know, Wes and I are both Michiganders. I actually immigrated to the US straight into downtown Detroit from China. Odd choice. I actually lived downtown for a while mm -hmm. and then ended up in the suburbs uh, just a little bit west of Detroit. I see. So let's start with your career. Tell us about your early career. What brought you to venture? Uh, what brought you? How'd you find yourself at Obvious? Yeah, I'll give you the short version of the story. My background is in computer science, as you mentioned, and math. And you know, I graduated in 2007. So it was just at a time where everyone that I knew was going into tech. My friend was in one of the first batches of Y Combinator mm -hmm. and was telling me about Paul Graham back in 2007 mm -hmm. uh, when the batch size was like 10. <laughs> yeah, 10 people. And it was in Boston, I uh, believe, a different at the time, time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was the first yeah. year that I was in California. Okay, got it. So I, I definitely knew about the world of venture capital but took kind of a roundabout way getting into the space. I knew that I didn't want to do software development the way that a lot of my friends were, but I knew that I liked the intersection of engineering, but with business overlay of engineering with intentionality and with purpose. Mm -hmm. And I liked the idea of understanding the strategy and the decision-making that went into companies, not just in terms of how they built a product, but why they decided to build that product in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I, I spent some time in product management and strategy consulting, and I kind of hopped across a few different venture roles. I got my start in venture capital at a firm called Bain Capital Ventures, mm -hmm. which is based in Boston at the time. It was a really great place to learn the, the job because they've been doing it since the mid-80s. And we were on Fund 12 when I joined. Mm -hmm. So very institutional place, like really knows what they're doing. And I could learn the job and the market a little bit more from the inside. Bain Capital is a very institutional firm that focuses on kind of the traditional venture categories, enterprise software, infrastructure, e-commerce and retail. And personally, I didn't resonate with those categories as well, given mm -hmm. that I have such a technical background. So I really liked my role at Innovation Endeavors because the mandate that we had from Eric, and he was our primary source of capital for mm -hmm. that fund. 
And Eric is a technologist foremost before he's a business leader. Mm -hmm. He's so curious about the way that technology is unfolding and developing and where the world is headed. And increasingly in his current role, he's tasked to know that because he's always interfacing with world leaders and business leaders. Mm -hmm. And they're always asking him about technology. So the mandate at Innovation helped me understand where technology is going by investing in it. This was before deep tech was mm -hmm. coined a was term a thing. or yeah. frontier tech was yeah. a category. Yeah. But the reason why we were doing it was partially because we were curious about it, but also partially that Eric wanted to know what was going to be the next cycle of technology in the next decade. Mm -hmm. And it's very important for him not to miss out on some of those trends. Mm -hmm. And the way that we would learn about them is to make early stage seed investments into lots of different emerging technologies. Mm -hmm. And based on how those investments did and, how that, and seeing it from the inside, we would then know, oh, this trend is actually developing and it's maturing and it's ready for prime time. Mm -hmm. We were doing everything from the precursor to crypto tokens and blockchain and in 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. We were looking at AR, VR, early deep learning and machine learning, industrial robotics. Mm -hmm. uh, genomics and Bio, yeah. That, yeah, everything mm -hmm. was fair game. Space. So that was a really fun period where you know, my interests and my background started aligning a lot more into where I was investing. And I think there's a direct correlation between that and the success of those investments. Mm -hmm. um, so by the time I started talking to the Obvious team, Ev and James and Michelle are the founders of Obvious Ventures. Mm -hmm. I talked to them very early on uh, while Fund One was being formed. And they shared their viewpoint that they wanted to invest and they wanted to create a firm focused on solving large unsolved problems in society and the mm -hmm. world at large. And it was such a great fit for what I did because I was focused on breakthrough technology. And if you want to solve the biggest problems in the world, you should have every tool at your disposal. Mm -hmm. You want to have a full palette of colors to work with because you're going after very challenging problems. So the combination of deep tech and emerging technology, along with this large, unsolved, big, audacious problems is a really natural fit. Mm -hmm. So I decided to join the team then and have been fortunate to be part of the obvious story since the very beginning, which has been great. And, and talk through some of the, the basics. What's the general size of the fund, check size, categories you're focused on? Yeah, so we mostly do our work in Series A and Seed. So mm -hmm. we like to be very active partners at the early stages. The style of investing that we practice is very hands-on. So we try to have a very concentrated portfolio. We don't invest in very many companies. When we do invest, we try to be one of the largest investors in the company and take board roles, be very active partners for that company. So we tend to lead or co-lead the early stage rounds of companies. Mm -hmm. Typically Series A? Yeah, and that, that typically means a check size of anywhere from 1 to 10 million as mm -hmm. our first investment. Let's talk about World Positive. Can you talk about how you think about it and what it means? Yeah, what World Positive means to us is that Obvious was founded under this general principle that we want to see technology move the world forward. We think that technology can be a beacon of hope, can be a catalyst for positive change. Even now in this environment where technology is often mm -hmm. characterized as the villain, mm -hmm. as the new Wall Street. Right. So that's what we've done with Obvious is definitely classic venture capital investing, but into industries, into parts of our economy that you don't always associate with Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. You think of as being 
legacy or industrial or analog. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, it's the case that that is changing mm -hmm. across every industry. Like synthetic diamonds and yeah. plant-based meat. And yeah, agriculture, healthcare. Satellites the size of a shoebox. Satellites, yeah. transportation, yeah. buses. Yeah. So technology is creeping its influence into all of these different sectors. And we think it can be for the better. Mm -hmm. And the world positive to us is showcasing and, and standing for that intentionality. Mm -hmm. And you know, people who wield this very finely tuned art of tech and what it can accomplish will go into these spaces with a vision in mind of how to make them better. Mm -hmm. And if we do that across the entire economy and change things from the better from the inside, one industry at a time, that creates a world that I think we'll be excited to live in. Earlier, we were talking about capitalism and the foundational promise of capitalism. Can you just say a bit of your view on the promise of capitalism and, and the dark downside of that as well? <laughs> well, I think I was just expressing some frustration at prior conversations mm -hmm. where I think this idea of, hey, how can you combine venture capital returns and building a big business and the drive of economics with mission? Like, how do those yeah. two fit together? How's and that even possible? I think that's, Aren't there trade-offs and all right, of that? Yeah. Right. And I, I think to me, that's such an unfounded question because that is the foundational promise of capitalism, mm -hmm. which is if you can solve the biggest pain points for the most people, then the market and the fairness of the market should mm -hmm. attribute value to your solution. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, then why are any of us doing what we do? Right. Actually, if you take a longer viewpoint historically, looking at the big companies, the big legacies that have been created and the big value creation events, they are tied to foundational discoveries of new technology, of science, advancing society forward. Mm -hmm. That's the majority of the cases where big companies have been built is that they built very ambitious solutions that mostly made the world better and more efficient, mm -hmm. whether it's mm -hmm. you know in the industrial revolution or biotech and biopharmas. So I, I think in general, we, we believe that if you go after large swaths of the economy and look to solve something there that is a large pain point, then there is going to be value for your solution, mm -hmm. for your company. Mm -hmm. And Got we it. hope to showcase that through our investments, that you can generate venture returns and feel really good and have a really tactical sense of like, what are you solving and who is it for? Let's dig into a couple of examples. I think you've made clear that you're seeking out performance from your strategy. So you're looking for the mission-driven nature of the founders you back to lead to a better outcome than if they weren't mission-driven. Can you think of an example or two of founders you've worked with where their mission has helped them get that kind of outperformance you're looking for and where you clearly see it as a competitive advantage? I mean, I think we see it throughout our portfolio mm -hmm. that uh, having a sense of intentionality over what you're doing and being able to talk about something more than your investors or the amount of funding that you've raised, but mm -hmm. to talk about why you exist and what you're here for is motivating to potential employees, motivating to potential clients, mm -hmm. it's motivating to press and mm -hmm. journalists. A good example of this is we work with a company called Verta Health, mm -hmm. which was founded by a superhuman called Sami Inkinen, who prior to Verta was a successful founder with Trulia, the mm -hmm. real estate company. Yep, yep. So Sami was a founder of Trulia, had a decade-long journey there, took that company public, and then had a successful merger with Zillow Group, mm -hmm. built the largest real estate platform in the world, and 
was at a point where he had his free choice of doing anything mm-hmm. or doing nothing mm-hmm. forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at that point, Sami decided to start a healthcare company. Verda is a diabetic management company. Mm-hmm. And the genesis of that story comes from a personal experience where he was diagnosed with prediabetes mm-hmm. and was shocked to understand that because he was also a triathlete. And diabetes is typically associated with lifestyle choices. Yeah. And after digging in and seeing how the disease is understood and how it's treated and finding advanced research in academia about diabetes and diabetic management, he decided to start a company around that. And when we met Sami, he was very adamant that at this phase in his career, he wants to leave a legacy. Mm -hmm. He wants to do something where the outcome is more tactile and is meaningful. And that is what drives him. And Mm -hmm. it's such a powerful story for someone who is post-economic or whatever the phrase is, to have that (laughs) sense of drive, replace the economic drive. That's a great example. We call it problem insider, where they've experienced the problem themselves. And because of that, they can really identify with it. They understand it. They empathize. And they're driven to solve it. And if they have the influence and the resources of a second-time, third-time founder, they have the green light to go Mm -hmm. after something even more ambitious, Mm -hmm. right? So I I think we will continue to see that. Mm -hmm. Something that's top of mind for me recently is I work with a company called Recursion Pharmaceuticals, Mm -hmm. which is a computational biology company applying AI to accelerate drug discovery. Use Uh, a lot of cool robots. It's a really (laughs) amazing company. AI, robotics. You know, Fundamentally challenging some of the basic practices of how the pharmaceutical industry works is no light matter, Mm -hmm. but they've been very ambitious and have been a leader in in this emerging field. And the company is so driven by solving the challenge of decreasing efficiencies in drug discovery and increasing costs and increasing timelines to find any new drug. And the hundreds of diseases that have no cures and have partial cures sitting on the shelf mm-hmm. to the point where the, the company in their headquarters has an entire wall full of local patients that have different rare diseases mm. and diseases that Recursion is currently working on solutions for. And they invite some of those patients to come in to meet the company. They do meet and greets. They uh, make sure the employees know about the diseases and how it affects the families. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, if I were working really there, awesome. I'd be pretty motivated to get to work if I yeah, it's, saw it's, that. It's yeah. really awesome just to you feel so close to the outcome of what you're working mm-hmm. on. You might be a data scientist. You might be a wet yeah. lab yeah. Uh, researcher. It's a bunch of numbers analyst, until you see but that then person. You just look over yeah. your shoulder and you see yeah. who you're, you know what you're doing this yeah. for. Yeah. So I think this is a company that really lives it and breathes it every day. And they've had tremendous success attracting very very talented people from all over the U.S., all over the world actually. And most recently, they went through a very competitive head of people search. And they actually found a a seasoned exec from Bay Area that had multiple offers from Mm. all the high-flying unicorns from around here Mm -hmm. and was able to attract her over to Salt Lake City. And a lot of that was driven by their ability to talk about what they're here to do and and what they would be a part of. And being a part of something more than your compensation package, being a part of something more than the office space and the Mm -hmm. free lunches to understand that you're leaving a mark on the world is very motivating, especially for Mm -hmm. the most experienced in-demand people. Mm -hmm. They're typically motivated by only that, actually. 
So I, I think it's a really powerful effect. Talk to someone in a really human way mm-hmm. of kind of like, why are you here? You have this amazing education mm-hmm. and skill set and experience. What do you choose to do with it? Mm-hmm. I love that we work with companies that they all have great answers to that. And, and we've yeah. seen them be able to compete in a very overheated talent tech market, yeah. which is great. People want meaning in their work, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let's shift gears to biology. There's a lot going on in biology. You wrote a blog post recently, The New Biology. Do you want to talk a bit about what it is, why you think it's promising, and some of the things you've done in it? Yeah, and we touched on this at the very beginning. What's happening in biology is a great case study of what we're excited by at Obvious broadly, which is the influence of technology in a new space that's very important for society that happens to be disassociated with the tech industry, Mm. but the dynamics of that are are quickly changing. And then we see that all over the place, but this one is a really great case study of how fast that change can be and how promising it can be. Broadly, I think about computational biology as the application of software and data science to explore biological questions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it gets bundled with synthetic biology or biotech, I want to just pull that out because they're very different terms. Computational biology is applying computational principles and techniques to explore biology. Mm -hmm. It's different than bioengineering or biotech or gene splicing or, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of technologies that are coming out in the bio field. Mm -hmm. Computational biology is the subset of that technology that is driven by computer science principles. Mm -hmm. So I just want to clear that up. And, uh, you know, what's really happening in the space is that there is a confluence of a few different maturing technologies that have created this opportunity. One is there has been an explosion in data generation. You know, I talked about data science mm-hmm. and machine learning. The key yep. ingredient is data. Gene sequencing uh, and, and... Yeah, uh, lower cost of sequencing, yeah. better experiment instrumentation, better sensors, mm-hmm. more equipped sensors. So a biological experiment can generate a data trail. Mm-hmm. And not just in terms of the volume of data, but the quality. Second is high throughput experimentation. Mm -hmm. So part of the volume of that data This is where the robots come in, right? You're doing tests in small little assays equivalent to a miniature peach your dish and the robots creating 20 million combinations to see what works. Right. You have amazing advances in lab automation and industrial Mm -hmm. robotics getting into the bio field that allows you to, to run experiments at higher throughput than before when you're mm-hmm. manually mm-hmm. setting up each experiment. And on top of that, there have been advanced methods for multiplexing experiments where mm-hmm. you don't even need to separate the experiments out mm-hmm. well by well. Mm-hmm. You can run many experiments in the same well hmm. all at once in <laughs> parallel. So a combination of multiplexing and robotics and, mm-hmm. and lab automation have created a speed advantage. And these are new, these, these, these things, are new. the explosion of data, the throughput efficiencies. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when you combine those two things, you have a faster pace of experimentation mm-hmm. and more robust, high quality, high volume data being generated mm-hmm. from that experimentation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the third leg of the stool is you have advanced infrastructure in AI systems yeah. to interpret the results mm-hmm. and to make sense of all of that experimental data. Right. Right. So those kind of three. So there things, wasn't much to apply AI to. There wasn't much to apply and AI to. Now there is. Whatever biological data was generated before was inconsistent or mm-hmm. poorly logged mm-hmm. or poorly kept. This is something that pharma is finding out right now as they try to catch up on AI. And the systems that we have now to interpret that data and to make sense of it are more turnkey, they're more reliable, 
So there, there have been advancements in AI itself. So those three things have come together really well to create this computational biology opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the readout of that opportunity is, is really that for the first time, there's a way to explore biology outside of the scientific method and outside of deductive reasoning. So traditional biology is all about mechanistically deconstructing it and understanding how it works. The way that you do in any other discipline of engineering, right? It it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Biology is all about how does it work? Mm -hmm. Like explain to me how this biological function plays out Mm -hmm. and what's the chain of events? What's the process in which it unfolds? Mm -hmm. And how might I change that process? It's heavily premised on understanding underlying root cause and underlying mechanisms. Mm -hmm. But as we apply computation to reading out these biological experiments in very high throughput at high volume, there's this new opportunity that's opened up to turn biology into a search problem, Mm -hmm. which is instead of figuring out how it works or being stuck in that phase of Mm -hmm. demystifying the mechanisms, Mm -hmm. there's a path to just run a lot of experiments. To see what works regardless of how. And let's find out what works. So you're shifting from how does it work to let's find out what works. Yeah, yeah. And they're very different. And, and can you talk about talk about a couple of examples, Zymergen, Ginkgo, some others that are doing this and what's their promise for the world? Yeah, Zymergen is a good example. I was very fortunate to be one of the first institutional investors in Zymergen's seed round mm-hmm. back in 2013 and have seen the company develop from the inside. And in their very first pitch, when the team was five people, they were talking about the promise of applying AI to biological engineering. Mm-hmm. And this is at a time when AI was itself pretty underdeveloped. Yeah. So they were pioneers. And so, but what, what does it do? What Zymergen does is engineer microbes mm-hmm. that produce a variety of industrial materials. Mm-hmm. So microbes are, I'm talking about yeast or E. coli mm-hmm. or staph. These are our tiny single cellular factories. Mm-hmm. Through their natural metabolism, they generate different mm-hmm. materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, like the wine, most, beer and most wine. The most famous one <laughs> is a popular one around here uh, in Oakland. There are a lot of breweries. So microbes can, can produce a, a wide range of materials based mm-hmm. on their biological pathway and their natural metabolism. Mm-hmm. That metabolism is very much encoded by their genetics. Mm-hmm. So microbial engineering, for the purpose of tuning what they create, has always existed. It's, it's been an industry for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And actually, a lot of materials that we see around us and we use in our daily lives is actually fermented. Mm-hmm. It's in a big stainless steel vat, yeah. just like a brewery. What Zymergen's insight is, is that these microbes are really hard to wrangle. And mm-hmm. just like what I'm talking about with all of biology, their underlying mechanisms are not well understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good anecdote there is a microbe that Zymergen works with has around 4,000 genes. Compared to humans or any kind of multicellular organism, fairly simple genetics, fairly simple organism. Mm-hmm. But of those 4,000 genes, around 25% of them are flagged as having no known function. Even for this, the most studied strain, mm-hmm. the research strain of E. coli, no known function. Mm-hmm. So kind of just a question mark over what the gene is there for. Mm-hmm. And in terms of engineering microbes, these gene targets have typically been ignored to focus on more causal targets mm-hmm. for any kind of characteristic of interest. But what Zymergen does is they take these microbes and they sequence them. They turn that sequence into 
kind of a digital replica. And then in software space, they can make edits and mutate these microbes. Mm -hmm. uh, they can evolve them in simulated space and just make changes at random mm -hmm. and just kind of go in and make all these different iterations. And essentially design them for customers' Just kind purposes. of design them yeah. and, and just, yeah. just perturb the genetics without any kind of sense of rational, mechanistic understanding. Mm -hmm. And then they make the microbes that they've designed in digital space by synthesizing the DNA mm -hmm. and putting them into new microbes mm -hmm. and they see how they do. And some of those microbes don't do well. <laughs> some of them have no function. Some of them are not even viable right. after that evolution. But some of them start to exhibit interesting characteristics. Some of them have the better material properties. Some of them have longer lifespans. Some of them have higher throughput in terms of how much material they generate, more yield. And they've been able to discover that there is a strong correlation of many of these no known function genes and some of those attributes that are interesting for the uh, industrial producers mm -hmm. of materials. Mm -hmm. And they've been able to unmap that because they're not stuck at that stage of deductive reasoning they can sidestep that and just experiment and learn from those experiments mm -hmm. and be driven by empiricism. So let's wind the clock forward. It's already a successful company, but it's really at scale, it's fully mature. And how is the world better? That one is profound mm -hmm. in, in that as Zymergen uncovers a broader universe of materials that can be manufactured this way, number one, these materials are not part of the petrochemical industry mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So they're not generated through petroleum refinement and mm -hmm. chemical mm -hmm. reactions. They're generated through bioreactions, which are uh, more sustainable mm -hmm. and more controlled. And number two, a lot of the materials that microbes can produce based on their metabolism are materials that we, we don't yet know how to produce from chemistry itself. Mm -hmm. So this has already happened where Zymergen has a library of proprietary materials that have never been discovered, that have interesting properties in all kinds of applications, ranging mm -hmm. from electronics to industrial materials to plastics and polymers. And they hold this promise of uncovering the next generation of super materials mm -hmm. that we've yet to discover mm -hmm. because the recipe is hidden in biology mm -hmm. and they're searching through that at a very fast clip. And you couldn't find it if you're looking for the how it works. or Absolutely, any, yeah, absolutely, yeah. right. And then in the case of recursion pharma, they're discovering new and exciting treatments and therapies, drugs that will address some things like these rare diseases, for instance. Absolutely. Yeah. And recursion is actually yeah. now in clinical trials mm -hmm. with two drugs that were discovered using AI. Again, yeah. not through the traditional scientific method, right. but through searching and learning right. from experimental data, right. using deep learning, using computer vision. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a radical shift in terms of how drugs are discovered. Do you worry that there could be a downside to all of this uh, sort of editing of life itself when they're running tests and maybe don't even know how it's working, but it works. And then all of a sudden we find out that it's self-propagating or <laughs> whatever it might be in a way that, that becomes a problem. Yeah, but I think that they're not mutually exclusive from each other in, in that I think as this new tool is used to explore biology and mm -hmm. maybe find some interesting empirical results, then you can rationalize those results later on. And I, I think it unlocks the key to new biological discovery. Mm -hmm. I think that we'll be able to explain some of these mechanisms 
at a faster clip because we're able to reverse engineer how they work mm-hmm. by finding the solutions first. Yep. You know, yep. I think rationalization is very important to human knowledge and it's unsatisfying to not know how things work. Right. There's some kind of drive in all of us that we want to know how things work. to do that. So I think as Zymergen or Recursion discovers these solutions, mm-hmm. they're not going to just move on. And both companies are working on internal white papers on some of their discoveries because they've been able to Explain. rationalize yes. the discovery yeah. later on. I think it's important because regulatory agencies will want to understand mm-hmm. you know, what you're putting out into the world. Yeah. Right? Okay. So as we near the end here, and I want to zoom out a little bit, just say a bit about where you see obvious seven or 10 years down the road and what you guys are focusing on right now. Yeah. I mean, I think we've been really fortunate to have a good run in the last five years since we founded Obvious in 2014. We feel even more emboldened than we did when we launched Obvious in that we've seen this flavor of venture capital work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see it in our own portfolio and we see it with friends of ours like Better Ventures mm-hmm. and like others that have started to do more work in combining this idea of intentionality, mission, mm-hmm. and the traditional venture capital model. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think this is where venture capital began. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the original venture capital is starting ambitious companies like Genentech or Silicon Graphics or Intel that uh, at tremendous risk and at tremendous cost built something that really changed an industry or changed the world at large. And in Silicon Valley, that idea can be forgotten in the land of fast following and quick acquisitions Mm -hmm. and a quick turn to make money. But the underlying truth of venture and of hopefully of capitalism, Mm -hmm. is that you have to be ambitious to Mm -hmm. do well. And Mm -hmm. the more ambitious you are, the better you do. And we hope we continue to support that idea and that interpretation of what venture capital is for. When you think about what drives you, how would you say you are on a mission to what? I think what gives me the most satisfaction is working with founders that are doing amazing things like what we talked about today. And it's a tremendous privilege to be able to sit in the sidecar of the motorcycle and be along for the journey. So I think for me, it's to be a long-term oriented, committed partner to these founders that are going after spaces that are unchartered, that are going after contrarian ideas, and to help be a voice that urges them to go forward in a sea of voices that are telling them how impossible it is. And I think that's our role and and that's my role is to cheer them forward. All right. Thank you, Nan Lee. Nan Lee, Managing Director at Obvious Ventures on a mission to cheer on long-term oriented founders to solve the big problems in the world. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Mission Driven. To find out more about Better Ventures, visit us at better.vc or on Twitter at Better Ventures. 